Coming up on Plane Crazy Down Under, we're joined by flight instructors and filmmakers Stephen Limkin and Erin Douglas, promoting the new documentary series, Touch the Sky. He had this idea that was going to follow one of the participants, and after some conversation, we decided that it actually was going to be better if we told more stories rather than just one story. Recreational aviation, I think it's brilliant. I think it brings back such a fun vibe. I just love it for the fun of it. And a little closer to the ground, drone racing army style. Yep, it's a thing. All the kids love watching the action. They love watching the pilots rebuilding their aeroplanes. They love watching the crashes. And so we went bigger this time. It's all about inspiring people to flight as we get plain crazy. Well, hi everybody and welcome back to the show. It's great to have you with us as we talk aviation once again. I'm Steve Fisher and with me, of course, is my good friend Grant McCarran. Mate, uh, we're off to the movies this week in a manner of speaking. I know, and it's for a very important cause. This movie is a documentary to help get more women aware of a life in aviation, get more ladies in aviation. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it certainly is. And, uh, of course, we're talking about Touch the Sky, the, a new documentary series, which you can find at touchthesky.au. The director of Touch the Sky is Stephen Limkin, and we're joined also by Erin Douglas. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, Stephen, congratulations on the documentary series. I've really enjoyed watching the clips that have come out so far. You must be really pleased with the way it's been received. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the feedback uh, has been overwhelmingly supportive uh, for each of the episodes that have already gone to air. Now, tell us a bit about the background. What what led you to, to start creating this documentary, highlighting, of course, um, you know, women getting into aviation? That's obviously the, the focus of this series. Yeah, so um, a friend of mine, Michael Monk, um, the uh, CEO of Locker.Aero, uh, so he came to me with um, an idea to sort of like try and shift the numbers uh, in aviation uh, because we, we knew that the numbers were very skewed, male skewed, uh, in terms of participation. So he had this idea um, for this documentary project that was going to follow one of the participants. And after some conversation, we decided that it actually was going to be better if we told more stories rather than just one story. And so that's how Touch the Sky came about. Storytelling is really where it's all about, at, isn't it? I mean, you can you can get out and you can have all these narratives going, but in the end, if you, you do a series the way you've done it and just tell people stories, that I think that has the, the greatest um, cut through. Absolutely, absolutely. And our producer, um, Bridget May, has really guided that process um, by the time from the moment we finished shooting uh, all of the content to the time we got into the edit studio and started to develop the the scripts and each of the episodes. And she's been absolutely instrumental uh, in ensuring that uh, each of these stories is told in the best way possible. Well, Erin, uh, we're concentrating on your story today and I just want to pay, play you a quick uh, grab from the documentary series. All I remember is being scared of flying. That's all I remember. It started on a plane, and I just remember feeling terrified of the bumps. It got worse and worse and worse as I got older. It just, um, I could never logic my way out of it. It just got worse. Now, I'll tell you what, Erin, I bet you found that's a far more common story than you ever thought. It is, actually. Um, yeah, it wasn't until I started building an online community that I realized how many people suffered with the same fear and phobia that I did. So, I mean, it made me feel less lonely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I can identify with you. I, I never actually flew anything in anything until I was 17. And I remember my father back in the 1970s used to go flying uh, with a great friend of his at Moorabbin Airport. And they would always invite me along as I was a kid and I was terrified. I, I never went 
And the first flight I did uh, was going overseas in a 747. And, and the second we went into the sky, I've told this story to our listeners a lot, so I hope they're not <laughs> yawning, but I just fell in love with it. And I wonder when you did get in the cockpit and you started flying, how was it for you? To, was it an instant overcoming of that fear or was it a, a more gradual thing? Uh, definitely a more gradual thing. Uh, it, I didn't instantly fall in love with it. It's something that I had to consciously decide, yes, this is what I want to keep continue to continuing to do to to get over that fear and I still experience it uh, to this day in various capacities. I think it start what started as a fear of turbulence developed into other fears, a fear of falling. Um, I kind of exhausted all the fears and and yeah, so I, it's still something that I do deal with today. It's a, it's a real process. I feel like it'll be a lifelong exercise. Yeah, because you're definitely not the only one. Um, I know, like I fly hot air balloons. I've got my butt on the side of the basket where it's about 5,000 feet between me and the ground. And and yeah, I always have a hand on the burner frame or on a tank because I hate going up ladders. I, I have a fear of heights and flying an aircraft okay, you're sitting in there, the more the visibility, yeah, okay. But um, yeah, the hot air balloon, as long as I'm anchored somewhere, I'm fine and I'm focusing on flying. Do you have that fear of fight, of heights thing? I never had a fear of heights. I think that's the only thing I didn't have a fear of. I think for me, mostly it's the sensation of falling and the idea of falling from a height. Have you tried skydiving? I have never, and I will never try skydiving. <laughs> I say the same thing about hot air ballooning every time Grant uh, suggests that to me, just just quietly. Yeah, I do have a couple of friends who are like, never, ever, ever will we get in a hot air balloon, and especially not with you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> do, you, do you find, Aaron, that uh, through your flight training, I mean, I think something that really um, spoke to me was learning you know, about the physics of it and, and how aircraft operate. And, and through that understanding, it kind of, it, it helped me to get through through that process a bit. Yeah, definitely for me, the more I learned, the less I feared it. But it's also to do with me being in control. I can still sit in the back of a large airliner and I'm still you know, terrified because there's a barrier between me and the cockpit. So I'm not in control. I think mostly for me, it's a control thing. I think getting closer to the front helps, especially if you're in the places where you have life flat beds, nice alcohol, food and all that. That really helps for me, I can assure you. I may not be in the very front with the best view, but I'm hey, it's pretty good. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Stephen, um, with your documentary making, would it be fair to say now that you're a, a filmmaker with an aviation habit or somebody who's in aviation with a filming habit? Uh, either way, it seems to work really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, done a, I've done a few projects now. Um, in, particularly in the aviation space, and I feel like, in terms of aviation, I found my tribe, and so and so I've married like um, my skill and experience as a documentary storyteller with my passion for aviation, and I really really love telling aviation stories. Because touch the sky is not the only uh, aviation story you've told. That's correct. So I just finished doing a three part series on loss of control with Recreational Aviation Australia. Um, which is out in the wild. Um, and then before that, we did The Aviator, which is all about Bob Tate, um, OAM, uh, who uh, we happened to work out of his hangar in Redcliffe. And so I get to spend time with Bob every day and uh, I absolutely love being in his company. Uh, and then before that, I made a 22-part series about learning to fly planes, which sort of followed my experience of learning to fly and overcoming my fear of flying. 
And for those of you who aren't in Australian aviation, Bob Tate is sort of right up there with the Kings and people like that in the US, has written most of the books that um, Australian pilots have learnt from, um, training guides, methodologies, all that kind of stuff, complete legend, and the OAM represents uh, Order of Australia. Uh, so, yeah, right up there if – the Kings are legends in the US. Bob Tate is just synonymous with GA learning and RA learning here in Australia. Yeah, so it's certainly a, very, a really good story to tell. Erin, um, let's talk a bit about going on. You've learned to fly and uh, it's actually a really good news story about, you know, conquering those fears of flying and um, you've gone on actually to uh, be quite involved in a flying school. Yeah, I have. Um, I was lucky, well, I think, that's, that's, to- That's the best news story ever. <laughs> It's, I know, I know. It's also the best job in the world. I mean, when I first started, I would never have imagined that I would be at this point where I was actually in a career and teaching others. The best I hoped for was just to get rid of my fear. So to now be in this position and to kind of fall into a passion that I didn't know that I would have, um, I, I feel particularly lucky. How, how do you find the instructing, uh, the the ab initio through to the more advanced? How do you, how do you find the art of teaching people to fly? Uh, difficult because I wouldn't consider myself to be a born teacher. So teaching was something I also had to learn. Um, none of this came naturally to me. So I'm still kind of at the in the early days of it and so finding my stride in instructing. But I think with each hour that goes on, I'm learning my own style. And yeah, it's just the whole thing. It's just, it's just a process and I'm loving it. And Stephen, you're an instructor as well, yes? I am, yes. And I've actually had the privilege of watching Erin from the moment that um, she she did her, her first board brief when she was doing her rating all the way through to seeing her get a senior instructor upgrade with Recreational Aviation Australia. And I've watched her journey. And so she has just gone from strength to strength. And um, there's been some lows and some things for her to overcome, but she's doing such a good job. And it's interesting too because I notice in the uh, the documentary that it focuses on you, Erin, there's actually some grabs from some of those training sessions where you're actually having to present that brief. That's uh, now you know in in my day job I do that in a different industry, and uh, that can be um, that can be quite challenging to do one on one. Yeah, it was daunting um, for someone like me that suffers awfully with anxiety, uh, imposter syndrome. A lot of us suffer from those things. Mm. It was, yeah, I feel like I was being laid bare. I just, at a lot of points, I, I couldn't speak at all. I couldn't even get started. So to to go from that point to where I am now, where I can do it semi comfortably, wow! Like for me, that's such a personal yeah. success. <laughs> major, major success. It's I've major. just started as. <laughs> recently started as an instructor in ballooning and only had a couple of instructional flights that I've given to others. And yeah, having done fixed wing and gone through the instructional process there, it's quite fascinating to see the uh, very much more relaxed and different style that we have for balloons and the chats we have, <laughs> but the core concepts are there and the getting it through and making sure you're on following a syllabus and everything. But it's, yeah, I haven't used a whiteboard yet. Oh, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly in terms of mentoring, um, you know, you can talk about mentoring through aviation, but also um, what you're talking about there is a skill in public speaking and presenting. And I suppose uh, part of the crew here of uh, Touch the Sky documentary, you've got some people who are very au fait with that and particularly Katrina Rountree. I, I would assume now, you know, I've produced uh, some, some other podcasts with Katrina in it. She's uh, very, very comfortable doing that. And I imagine she's been a great help to you. Oh, she's been so good. Um even just to watch her, I just, I couldn't believe that I was 
in her presence for one, but yeah, just to get, just to watch her in her element, she's just so natural. And I've, I've just taken so much inspiration from seeing how she is both on and off the camera. She's, she's the same person. It's incredible to me. She's just so natural. That's the key to it. Uh, Stephen, tell us about some of the other people that are in the documentary. Yeah. So there's a wide range of stories that we've told in this series. So, uh, you guys would be familiar familiar with uh, Alan Franklin, who worked for Oz Runways. Mm-hmm. So uh, Alan came up and did her instructor rating with us. Uh, also, we've got a young girl by the name of Maddie, and uh, and Maddie um, it was only seventeen is only seventeen years of age at the time of the the filming of the series, and so she's had her own journey of overcoming some um, difficult family situations. Uh, and then we've got Zara who is just amazing. So we're talking about uh, an Afghan refugee who fled uh, Afghanistan with the fall of Kabul uh, because she was in the Afghan Air Force and so they were rounding up people and shooting them. And so she fled to Australia, had to teach herself English when she got here and uh, decided that she wanted to learn to fly and moved her entire life from uh, Melbourne or Adelaide where she was staying to Brisbane so that she could pursue her dream of flying. That is amazing. What a story that would be to tell. How did you how did you cast out and attract such a wide range of uh, of um, you know really really interesting people to put on this show? Yeah, well, it started with um, Katrina and, and telling Katrina's story, uh, and then it moved um, on to um, getting Erin involved and uh, following her journey into instructing. Uh, and then there was another girl by the name of Danny, um, who um, is from Canberra, and so um, and so we we started off with three. And then it sort of grew to four with Alan and then five and then it grew to eight. <laughs> and it just got to the point where it was becoming so big. Um, we needed help to help us to be able to structure the series and the stories and to get some additional funding. And so we were able to do that with um, the help of Screen Australia through, um, which is what Bridget organised. So we, we've had some, we've had some pretty pretty great sponsors and supporters and funders who have helped bring this story to light. I'll tell you what, it's a wonderful story. We're talking about the Touch the Sky documentary. We're here with Stephen Limkin and Erin Douglas. Stick with us, folks. This is Playing Crazy Down Under. We'll be right back after this. Keeping up to date with the latest news is a huge part of our daily lives. Now you can have news on demand with the Australian Independent Radio News app. News and sport in your pocket whenever you want it. Wherever you are in the world, if you call Australia home, you can stay in touch with the Air News app. Download it now for news on the go. This is Air News. 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 Australian Independent Radio News. Hi, I'm Dave Homewood from the Wings Over New Zealand show. New Zealand's own aviation podcast series, where we feature the stories of Kiwi pilots, warbird restorers, Air Force veterans, home builders, historians, authors, modelers, stories from aviation museums and associations, air show reports, and much, much more. The Wings Over New Zealand show loves to bring you the stories of Kiwis who've made their mark on aviation. So find the Wings Over New Zealand show online. Find more about it on the world-famous Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum and like us on Facebook. 
I'm Matt Hall. Hi, I'm Matt Hall. I'm Matt Hall. No, I'm Matt Hall. No, I'm Matt Hall. Everyone wants to be Australia's champion Red Bull Air Race pilot, and now you can own a piece of Matt Hall memorabilia. Polos, T-shirts and caps for all shapes and sizes can be found at matthallracing.com. Just go to the online store and you too can be in the loop. Hello, I'm Matt Hall. You're listening to Playing Crazy Down Under, where we talk aviation. Thanks very much for joining us. Our guest this week is Erin uh, Douglas and Stephen Limkin from Touch the Sky, a new online documentary series, and it's focusing on the journey of uh, women into aviation. Guys, I wonder, women's participation in aviation has traditionally been quite low as a percentage. Why do we think that is, and what can we do about it? Yeah, I think that um, if you look historically, um, like it's – I don't know why it actually just became a male-dominated industry. If you go back to the very early days of aviation, the Amelia Earhart's of aviation, she had this amazing vision of seeing aviation as a vehicle that was going to empower women moving forward into the future, not only in terms of transportation, but also in terms of um, being engineers, being pilots. And yet, if we look at from that time to now, not a lot's actually changed. And hence, of course, the documentary, and we talked a bit, a bit before about storytelling. I mean, we really need to see a lot more of this storytelling going on. It's, it's certainly not, not an industry that only men can participate in. It's, um, it, to me, like you say, it's a bizarre thing. Anybody can do this if they have the, the drive to do it. Absolutely. And we're talking about, um, you know, like women make up 51% of the population, yet they only make up 5% of pilots. So we've got to do something to change the stats. Yeah. No, exact. And when you look at the WAFs back in World War II on both the US and the UK, flying fighters, flying bombers, um, I remember one of the stories, I think it was about the B-29, where where the male pilots were like, oh, we don't trust it, we don't see it. And so um, they started delivering a whole lot of them with female crews. And the male pilots went, well, shoot, I guess we've got to fly them. And what they found was that the ladies were following the checklists and the guys were too macho and didn't need this checklist crap and were causing problems. And once they got checklists drilled into the guys by the ladies flying them and having no problems and the guys obviously doing something wrong once they realised that. So we've lost a lot, I think, when everyone came back from the war and all the GIs and and all the military came back and the ladies who were doing a lot of work in industry and doing a lot of work in aviation... Well, they had to get out of the way so the guys could have the jobs. And I think that set a lot of that progress back that Amelia Earhart was looking at pre-war and what we saw during the war. But it's great to see us clawing it back. But I'm going to step sideways a bit and go, Aaron, you've in this show, you've been talking about conquering fears, building up knowledge, building awareness and so on. How did you go when Stephen came to you and said, oh, we're going to do a documentary about you? Was it a uh, no get away moment? <laughs> I think initially it was a hell yeah. And then as soon as I found out, you know, that I was going to have to be filmed all the time, um, all of these fears came out. I'm not that good on camera, uh, just quietly. So I think, <laughs> yeah, it, it was terrifying. I think it was a hell yeah and then a hell no. And that just continued the whole way through. <laughs> Oscillating back and forth. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> I think too, like a lot of the time we focus on career, but of course, um, Erin, you've gone through the RAOs scheme. We've talked a lot about RAOs here. Can you talk about the process of going through that and why RAOs? Why did you choose that path? Um, To be honest, I didn't really know another path. It was sort of what 
my husband and I learned to fly at the same time. So it was what we fell into and it was all we knew at the start. Um, we had no prior knowledge of the aviation world. So we fell into it and then loved it. I love recreational aviation. I think it's brilliant. I think it brings back such a fun vibe. I think it's absolutely necessary for aviation. I just I just love it for the fun of it. Because what I'm talking about here is also not only people looking at it from a career path, but I mean, there's plenty of people that just want to come in and have fun flying. I myself, you know, I had great ambitions many years ago when I was young to be an airline pilot. Life went in a different direction, but um, you know, on the on times when I do go flying now, I just want to go flying for fun, and I think that's a message. I think particularly that RAOs is probably uniquely able to to put out there. Absolutely, um, what I tell people if they if they come to me and say, "Where should I start?" I say, "Well, start in recreational aviation. Fly for fun. Fly for the joy of it. It's accessible for people of all ages." Um, I think that's that's the key for me. That's the key point. It's accessible. That's what I love about it. And tell us about the location that you're in up there in Queensland. Of course, we're down here in chilly old Melbourne where you can't always fly because, you know, people people seem to make fun of our weather, but that's never the case in Queensland, most Queenslanders Good tell me. Good excuse for an IFR rating down here in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, do you want to Yeah, sure. In Queensland, I mean, we're at Redcliffe, so we're only about 20, 25 k's uh, from the CBD of Brisbane and uh, on the north side of Brisbane, and it is just a fantastic uh, strip to fly at. Not only that, but the weather is absolutely spectacular. We have close to 300 days a year of pure sunshine. Uh, I'm sorry, is this your <laughs> knife? <that> you <laughs> <laughs> However, in saying that, we also have an awful lot of crosswind as well too. So we always tell people, come and learn to fly at Redcliffe and we'll teach you to be a real pilot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, a, uh, that is a really, seriously, that's a great core skill to have is uh, crosswind landings. I know uh-huh. when I was learning in the States uh, where I was based, <laughs> I don't think we ever didn't have a crosswind. <laughs> something you became quite adept at rather quickly. Yep. Yeah, and, and the training area is right on our doorstep. So on one side, we've got the Glasshouse Mountains, which is spectacular. The other side, we've got the ocean, Morton Island. Uh, you've seen the iconic shots of all the rusted shipwrecks that are along those beautiful turquoise waters. So we live in and fly in a spectacular part of the country. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Well, we had some sunshine here last week, I think, didn't we, here in Melbourne? Uh, I think it got up to about 15 degrees the other day. It was <laughs> awesome. But, but, I mean, you know, uh, one thing Melbourne's got is it's got high-density air. Yeah. We, we are colder. You get better engine performance, better lift than that hot-high situation you guys have got. I'm just, you know, got to find something, right? Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Please, I'm scrabbling here. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever helps you sleep at night, Grant. <laughs> there you go, mate. There you go. It's working for me. So the obvious question is now, now we've, you know, Erin, um, we've made a media star of you now and we've followed your journeys and you're quite active there on social media. So where to from here? Are we going to continue to keep following your uh, your adventures and your, your journeys as you move on through aviation? Yeah, I think um, the online world is also something I kind of stumbled into. I didn't expect it to to sort of blow up as it has. Um, it started as a journal, really, just for me to keep track of my journey and it's kind of continue that way. I'd like to keep using it as sort of a journey, a journal, sorry, to follow my way through. I don't know really, I never really set out a path for myself because I feel like when I do that, I might miss opportunities. So I just think, well, I'm going to keep all the doors open and and see what happens for me. I'm just going to keep working hard and (laughs) it seems to be working out. 
That's outstanding. Uh, Stephen, for you um, with the documentary series, I mean, where to from here? Are you going to, obviously, uh, you've got the bug now for not only aviation, but telling people stories. I mean, you, you can't just leave it here with this series, surely. Yeah, no, uh, certainly not going to leave it here just with this series. Uh, so we're, we're sort of hoping that we can get a second season up. So Bridget and I um, are now going through all the analytics and the metrics uh, from the series um, to create a pitch. Uh, for something uh, with uh, one of the broadcasters. So, I mean, the great thing is, is that it's been running for, what, nine weeks now uh, online and we've had over 105,000 views on our channel so far, So, which is pretty good for such a short period of time. Yeah, it's it's, it's really fantastic. And the thing I like about it is is that they're not – I mean, they're, they're – Short, sort of short form documentaries, aren't they? They are sort of a, a short synopsis of each each pilot's story as they go through, and I think the way you've done that is really effective. It, it's just enough; it catches people's attentions, tells the story in a really uh, effective way. Yeah, and when we did that, I really wanted to incorporate the use of a psychologist to help us to sort of like look at some of the the soft issues and the and the and the barriers that each uh, girl has had to overcome. Not from a place of sort of like diagnosing them, but from a place of bringing a professional perspective to the sorts of um, issues that women actually encounter in getting into the industry. And Peter was absolutely fantastic. I just think it's a wonderful thing. Erin, as a final message as we wrap the interview up here, um, your message to people, people in general, women specifically, but but really anyone who wants to get into aviation and, and might have that, you know, that monkey on their backlog we've all got from time to time. What do you say to people? I think the message that I really put out there is that you just have to get started. You just have to start somewhere. If it's something that you're thinking about, I would just pursue it. Reach out to someone you've seen online. Reach out to me. I have a lot of people reaching out to me to say, hey, where can I start? Reach out to someone. Just start somewhere. Fantastic. And um, I, I suppose the other thing is that aviation is addictive. Um, <laughs> it certainly is. Once once you get that taste for it, isn't it? Uh, you can never. It never gets out of your blood. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Stephen, it's a fantastic series. Um, thanks so much for putting it together. Tell our listeners where we can find you online. So you can find uh, the series online either at touchthesky.au or you can jump onto our YouTube channel uh, and you can just go and uh, look up Touch the Sky on YouTube and you'll be able to find the series. Awesome. Stephen, Aaron, thanks so much for joining us here on Playing Crazy Down Under. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. And thanks to Stephen and Aaron for joining us on the show, Grant. Uh, what a great story. And uh, once again, if you want to check that out, touchthesky.au, there's uh, lots of really short-form uh, interviews there and uh, there's some really, really great stories there. Oh, yeah, it's great. There, yeah. It's also good to uh, recognise a couple of the folks who have been uh, in there, like um, Alan from Oz Runways, who's had the misfortune of coming ballooning with me, as I think I mentioned during our chat. So anyhow... Well, she's very, very brave, Grant, and uh, you didn't scare her to death and she's gone on to become a flight instructor, so... There you go. Yeah, I think I think she's definitely a brave person. Not only went for a balloon flight with me, but also went instructing. Oh, yes. Well, there you go. See, Grant, you've been a positive influence on people. You've scared them away from ballooning and into fixed wing <laughs> flying. Thanks, mate. Nice work, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you're biased. <laughs> well, Grant, speaking of uh, fixed wing flying uh, of a different kind, well, it's not really, actually. It's rotary wing, really, isn't it, when yeah, you think indeed. about it, and drone flying. And uh, we were at, at uh, Avalon, of course, uh, recording lots of uh, content for Australian Defence Magazine, and they've uh, graciously let us use this content. And, uh, Grant, um, you know, the Defence Force actually is uh, right into drone racing, as it turns out. 
They certainly are. And there's actually a link with ballooning because Justin, a friend of mine who was there, we did an interview him though, he refused. Uh, he's with the RAF and he's actually a hot air balloon pilot as well, but he's there drone racing. So uh, he said that the young ones are doing pretty well with those reflexes, but it's a great chat with uh, with Karen Joyce and uh, looking forward to hearing it once again. And I, I, I'm sorry it was just me, but I am the host of the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. So yeah, Steve didn't get a word in. Sorry, mate. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm the producer. I'll just put that in there, you know. Well, you were there. You were there. You had your microphone and you were doing very professional stuff with your headset as well. Yes, yes. Well, you've got to look the part, Grant. Anyway, Grant, let's head back to Avalon. Wing Commander Karen Joyce, welcome to the show. Really uh, excited to be here at the Drone Zone. I know, right? It's the Circus of Drones and the Circus Tent. We've got a full race set up behind us. Can you tell us about the inspiration for this event? Well, I guess, number one, it's the biggest circus tent we can hire in Australia. <laughs> so we've uh, we've truly gone and got the, the biggest flying space we can and, and we've made the biggest, fastest track that we can. Look, the inspiration came from the last air show that we did in 2019. We had a, we had a circus tent half that size. Um, but what we found was, uh, you know, kids love drone racing. And for the public days at the last air show, the grandstand was packed and we had kids five or six deep um, at the tables. Uh, All the kids love watching the action. They love watching the pilots rebuilding their aeroplanes. They love watching the crashes. And uh, so we went bigger this time uh, because the, you know, we want to have those conversations with the kids. We, what we do is everything STEM, you know? We design aeroplanes, we build them, we solder, we code. So at the end of a race meet, everybody will go home, they'll download their videos, they'll cut a really sick video together and they'll put it on Snapchat and Instagram. These are the kind of skills that we want in defense, right? And it's not just about trying to talk to people about being a drone pilot, Um, it's talking to them about being radio operators, about being mechanics, about being avionics technicians, about being multimedia techs, all of those skills are really applicable to defence and defence industry as well. But So it's great for getting the kids in and getting them hooked, which is always a wonderful thing, getting them into STEM and so on. But it's not just the young kids, you know, like 18 to 20 year year olds that we're seeing here. There's some uh, slightly more closer to my maturity and so on. Uh, They're they're not all young chickens, as the phrase goes, uh, out there playing. So the people racing are from a broad spectrum of ages. Absolutely, it's a it's a sport for all ages, and I think that's also a real big thing about this sport, right? So we, we like to say that it's like a motorsport for anybody. Anybody can get into this motorsport. And I think that's really great, um, because all you need is your goggles and your thumbs, even people that might have physical disability or, or things like that, they can all get into the cockpit of an aerobatic airplane and feel like they're pulling Red Bull air race manoeuvres, right? <laughs> and uh, and I think that's equally applicable from a 12-year-old who's used to their PS4 controller mm-hmm. all the way up to a 60 or 70-year-old who's been doing model aerobatics for 50 years. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, it's, a, it's a very inclusive sport. Except in this case, you've got the goggles strapped to your head. You're seeing as if you're on the aircraft, but you're sitting in a chair, so your inner ear is saying... No, I'm not doing that roll. I'm not hitting that pylon or yeah. c- turning that corner. It takes practice. Yeah. And you'll notice when you look at the pilots, some pilots stand, mm-hmm. some pilots sit, yep. some pilots kind of take a knee. <laughs> um, there's, there's different ways that different pilots approach their, their flying. 
from what you've seen, uh, of, of course, you're racing yourself. Uh, I imagine you're also coordinating what goes on. Yeah. I mainly stick to the coordination. I'm a horrible pilot. I can't keep up with these guys. <laughs> um, look, it's like a, it's like any elite sport, right? Yeah. Any, any person can go out into their backyard and get taught the basics of how to kick a footy. Yep. Anybody who knows how to drive a PS4 knows how to do the basics of taking off and flying, a, flying a course. But getting this good, yeah. it's an elite sport. It takes lots of training. Yeah. And what we see here is the best pilots that we've got uh, from the Australian teams, but as well as the international teams. Um, you know, we've got a deep membership base of many, many pilots. We bring the top five or six to an event like this because we're, we're racing for pride. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not for prizes, it's for pride, right? That's right. <laughs> so you just touched on international. I've seen Army and Air Force. There's a Navy but you've also got a number of internationals here. Can you run through who else Yeah, is sure. Here? So don't forget our cadet team either. So our cadet team arrives today. Um, so we, we've also got the, the younger folk of the Australian Defence Force racing with us from, to, uh, from tomorrow onwards. Fantastic. Um, but uh, from an international perspective, we've got the UK and New Zealand. They're back. Uh, yeah. They have raced with us before at the first ever military international drone racing tournament, which we had in 2018. Uh, so they're back. And, uh, and we've also got Singapore and Indonesia joining us for the first time uh, this year. So we've got five, five, team, five countries. Yep. Uh, that's pretty exciting. It's great to see the, the sport at a you know, military international sports level continue to build. And how's the rivalry going between not just the young and the old, but also the international teams? Oh, the rivalry is hot. <laughs> so, um, so we've got the big trophy, right? Yeah. So the winning team of those five countries, the military international drone racing tournament champions. Uh, but we also have an Ashes trophy that uh, Australia does uh, count back on scores against the Brits. And we've also got a Trans-Tasman trophy. And we've got an inter-service trophy as well for the Australian team. So, yeah, the, the rivalry is there for sure. Fantastic. So, you've mentioned that you're the patron for this event and for the racing within the Australian Defence Force, is that correct? Yep. You also said before we started rolling and interviewing about uh, clubs, and there's clubs in all the cities, but this is the only drone racing club that is decentralised and yep. covering the whole country. Yeah, so the Australian Defence Force uh, drone racing organisations are decentralised. Our pilots are all over the country, as you'd expect, uh, for you know the likes of defence postings. We've got people from uh, representing today from as far north as uh, Townsville and Tyndall, uh, Catherine in the Northern Territory, all the way down to Melbourne. So uh, we are a decentralised club. We're the only decentralised club uh, that's part of Australian FPV Drone Racing Association. Uh, all the other clubs are based on capital cities, okay. but it's uh, it's a really cool community. So across that organisation, there's two and a half thousand registered pilots, uh, and it's really great to be part of that. Okay. Now, if somebody wants to get into drone racing, who do they contact? What do they look on Google to find a club? Or uh, every club uh, runs a Facebook page. So uh, if you are interested in finding out where drone racing is done in your capital city. Uh, just Google it, Melbourne Drone Racing, Sydney Drone Racing, you'll, you'll bring up their pages. Um, all the clubs do beginner days um, and they, uh, they also run uh, competitions and we kind of go seasonal as well. So in the Canberra Club, for example, um, we do outdoor drone racing in the nice months, but for the significant part of the year where it's really cold, we go indoor and we go down to a subclass of drones called a Mini Whoop. They're about, uh, they're about oh, three wow. or four inches. Big, and we do it indoors in in restaurants, in museums, in all sorts of places. Oh, wow. um, so, so that's how you get into it. Uh, from a technology perspective, we like to recommend people to kind of 
ease themselves into it. So a simulator, um, you can download simulators and just use your PS4 uh, controller, right? So that's a really cheap way to get into it. Make sure you know the moves and that you enjoy the sport. Um, but then you get into the mini whoop class, so you can start buzzing your lounge rooms and your dining rooms, chasing your dog and whatnot. Uh, once, you're, once you're really comfortable with that, then you get into the race class aircraft, and that's when you'll start spending you know, $300 on an aeroplane um, and, uh, and getting into the high speed stuff that we do here up to, a, up to 150 kilometers an hour. And is that scale kilometers an hour or real kilometers? No, that's real. Woof. Yeah, okay. they hoof around this track. Okay. And we designed the track so that right along the grandstand there are there is a low straight and a high straight so that the uh, the audience get the full experience of the the high speed <laughs> and sometimes high speed crashes of the of the main straight. <laughs> Saw a few while we were waiting to shoot and uh, I'm sure we'll get them on the on the camera. So uh, anything else you'd like to say while we've got you here? So just to expand on the last point though, if any defence people want to get into our associations, we also run Navy, Army and Air Force Facebook pages and uh, that is absolutely the easiest way to get in touch with us. Um, it's, uh, it's a great way to get involved in an Army sport or an Air Force sport. You know, not every soldier, not every officer, not every aviator wants to play rugby these days or uh, or play golf on their service teams. A lot of people now uh, want to do drone racing. They want to do esports. They want to do war gaming. Right? All of those associations exist. So um, for all of our military members that might want to do this, just reach out through our Facebook page or our email addresses on the restricted network. We'll send you a membership form and we can get you started. Fantastic. Well, Kieran, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Hamish Glover, welcome to the show, mate. Thank you. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Now, you're a pretty speedy drone racer, I, I hear. You've got some uh, yes, yeah, yep. speed records and Currently all sitting for the Military International in second place Ooh. against the New Zealand pilot, Quato. Okay. He's very quick. Yeah. So, uh, we're doing laps around this track in about 12 or 13 seconds. Yeah. And, um, there's, uh, there's a wide variety of, uh, of range of speed here. So yeah. We've got the 12, 13 seconds and the people who are just trying to do their first lap. People like me who go, where is it? What? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what got you into drone racing? I just started flying toy drones. So the stuff you bought on eBay yep. in 2015, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, buy something, fly it at the park. It wasn't first person or anything. And I had a mate at school who wanted to get into it too, and we pushed each other. We just started doing the research. I think we spent a couple of months just looking into what to buy, where to buy it from. Bought all the parts, went through a bunch more questions, figured it all out and started flying and that okay. was it and then from there I got into racing more so this kind of thing here yep. which is uh, much more specialised than what I started flying yeah. it's built just to go fast and then from there I got out of it for a bit in 2019 and I came back into it last year and joined the army team from there it's just blown up now yeah. I'm just I'm doing this all over the place and it's more than the flying it's also yeah. you've got to maintain it's like you're, it's you're huge. you see the race drivers yeah. and they've got an engineer and then they've got a pit team yes. but you're it we are everything yeah. yeah so we have to go home after this and, and look at what we're broken figure out sometimes we don't know what we're broken something's not flying pull it apart figure out what's going on there's a lot of troubleshooting going on yep. yeah so it's more than just the yeah. flying but coming back yes. to the flying yeah. okay so like we were just talking before your eyes are telling you you're racing around this yeah. track your inner ear is saying I'm sitting in a chair or standing or whatever yeah. how long does it take to get that I'm accommodating this and I'm used to it now some people it takes a while. For me, I think maybe something to do with being younger, it is easier. Uh, I pretty much was able to pick it up and I didn't feel sick or anything when I started. Some people it takes a while, some people can only do it sitting down. Yep. Um, some of us can just stand up and do it just fine. 
problem when you're standing up and racing is you start to lean with it sometimes and you get a bit wonky. So I've moved to sitting down now where I used to stand up. And uh, you're hearing a lot of different things in the ears. So you've got commentary going on here. Mm -hmm. You've got other quads in the air. So it's not just this one, you've got four others in there. So sometimes you, you have to push out the other noise and you're trying to hear what's going on with yours. Uh, if you've broken something, you'll hear it sometimes before you see it. Yeah. And if you hear someone else that's broken theirs, that's got a propeller missing or something, you sometimes can get a bit confused about what's going on. So yes, you are processing a lot of inputs wow. at once. So you're, you're really locking in and, and you have to yeah. total concentration, you know, focus yes. and all that. Absolutely. It's, it's weird watching the video from afterwards. You look at yourself flying and I go, wow, that was quick. But while you're in it, it feels quick, but you're kind of, you're processing everything, you're trying to slow it down, and you don't realize how fast it is while you're doing it. Yeah, okay. But at the same time, you're having to adjust the whole time to actually make it around and not crash at the pace I'm trying to go. <laughs> it's pretty quick. So uh, let's run through the gear you're carrying, and uh, you've you know, clearly the goggles, yeah, yeah. the antennae, welcome to your planet, uh, but the gear and the controller that you've got now, uh, let's start at the, at the aircraft. Yeah, sure. So this is, as I mentioned before, it's a specially designed racing drone. Yep. So there's a few different kinds of these you can build for different purposes. The idea of this is lightweight, but still durable, so it can handle a crash. So you've got four motors, four propellers. In here, there's a, a flight controller that tells it all what to do, and a speed control that takes the battery power and sends it out to the motors, so it can actually run them. You've also got some of the most important things in there. You've got a camera at the front and a video transmitter. So that transmits back to the goggles, so we see exactly what that camera lens there sees. So where's the antenna for the camera? The antenna is this oh, little wow. guy back here. Okay. So it's uh, it's in a 3D printed mount, yep. so that keeps it nicely in place. Uh, the camera is also in a, a 3D printed mount there. Yep. So there's tons of different ways to mount these. It just depends on what frame you've got. You can get lots of different ones out there. Uh, and it's all a personal preference kind of thing. And then the battery tucks underneath the bottom. Yeah, so the battery will go on there where you've got this lead here yeah. and it plugs into there. And exactly. the velcro holds it in place. Exactly, that's nice. your battery. Yeah, and then you've got a little receiver in here which goes back to the transmitter. So that's a fairly simple thing. This sends your commands to the receiver. The receiver sends it off to the flight controller and the flight controller interprets those commands and tells the motors what to do. And as, as in a normal, it looks very much like a standard RC controller with a few extra switches. It is, switches. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this can, can fly RC planes, uh, yep. micro quads. It can really fly anything you want, exactly. And instead of controlling servos and an engine and all that, yeah. it's controlling four and the different uh, Precisely. speeds of the rotors gives you your pitch angles and everything. That's it, yes. Yeah. So, so you've got your your roll, yep. your pitch, your, your throttle, and your yaw, and that's exactly on a quadcopter, yep. that's it's translating to these movements you see. Yeah. Cool. And now for the headgear. So yeah. you said it's transmitting yes. video back to you. So I imagine you're not getting super high def 4K yeah, watching Yeah, that's, that's right. So yeah, a lot of people coming into this, they think it, we see high resolution, but this is an analog system here, and what we see is fairly low resolution. There's a lot of break up often, especially in environments where there's a lot of other quads racing. Metal objects are pretty rough on video too. Um, there's some new systems out there like a DJI and HD0 that are doing digital video where you might get a bit better quality, sometimes at the expense of latency. So yeah. the reason we've run this for a long time is no one could match the latency of this gear. Gotcha. We want to see exactly what that quad's doing as soon as possible. We want the lowest possible latency, and that's what analog delivered. So like the old days of analog phones, where you'd still hear what they were saying, even if they sounded like a Dalek, yeah. but now with digital, you get bah, bah, and you that's get interruptions right. and total so loss. So we'll see, yeah, until there's no video left, we're still seeing something, yeah. and we can, sometimes it's pretty bad, but you learn to fly through it. Okay, so you've got two antennas on the on the headset. Yeah. Uh, one is a backup, or...? Uh, 
Kind of. So it's a, it's a diversity setup, so it'll actually pick the one that's getting the strongest feet. Okay. So if one antenna is weaker than the other in its reception, it'll switch to the other receiver. Okay. So in that way, it's kind of a backup. I can take one of these off and it'll work perfectly fine. But then if that antenna would have been picking up something better, I won't have that benefit. Now for the inevitable question. You have got the front row gorgeous view seats as it smashes into something in the ground. Yes, yes for sure. Do you ever get used to that? Yeah, I think so. You get a lot more comfortable with it. Crashing is something you really have to learn with these because if you crash in a race and you're able to avoid actually stopping the quad, if you're able to keep flying off that crash, then you're going to be able to get up a lot quicker. If you avoid getting stuck in the grass, you're already you're already up for a better chance, right? So you get used to bouncing off something and flipping upside down and that. You get used to quick recovery, so I might do a, a quick flick of the, the roll stick to try and recover it uh, and see how quickly I can get back in the air. If you're stuck on the ground, they have a thing called uh, turtle mode or flip over after crash, which is if you're upside down, it can reverse the motors. So that's what this here does. Mm -hmm. It keeps two of the motors out of the grass. If you don't have this and the grass is tall, these will not spin. They'll be in the dirt in the grass. So it keeps it out. You have two motors up. You flip it back over, try and take off again. Sometimes you'll see people out there who are taking ages trying to get up. There's 30 seconds on the ground, rolling around, trying to get back up. Any chance they can get to either finish a race or just get more laps in, more practice time. Yep. Yeah. Okay, and how long does the race go for? About two minutes. Okay. Yeah, so a, a race will usually be a certain number of laps you have to complete. If it's a short track, it might be four or five laps. If it's a longer track, it might only be two or three laps, just depending. The aim is to go for about a minute and a half to two minutes because our batteries will run out after that. Good point. Yeah, a very short battery life. That's okay. what happens when you are, you're drawing <laughs> over a thousand watts on high throttle. Yep. You're drawing a heap of power and these little batteries, they can only sustain that for a couple of minutes. Yep. Now you're also Army Reserve is my understanding, yes. so you've got yeah. a day job. Uh, yes. And what's, what's your day job? Yeah, so I've just finished studying uh, cybersecurity and criminology for four years. I'm going into work in cybersecurity. Going into that, staying in the Army Reserve and drone racing. Looks like you've got a hell of it's, a future. It's going to be, yeah. There's a lot going on. Uh, I'm just taking all the opportunities I get. Yeah. Right. Don't miss out on anything. So Fantastic. if I can do it, if I can get to an event like this, I'll be here. Yep. Have you, now, the last question, have you ever been up in a real aircraft or done real aerobatics mm. with people? Has anyone no, thrown No, I'd love to. Yeah. No, commercial airlines is as far as I've gone. Okay. I haven't actually been in a, in a private plane or anything like that before. Okay. I'll do, done aerobatics, I'd love to. Yeah. yeah. No, if, I, if anyone gives me the opportunity, I'll take it, obviously. Okay. I'm sure there'll be people around here that you can meet. Yeah, I'll have a chat to someone. Yeah. Getting a fighter jet. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. And uh, thanks to Hamish and to Kieran for uh, joining us there. And once again, of course, uh, that uh, did, did appear in the uh, current series of the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. And uh, we produced that one and we'd uh, highly recommend you get over there and listen to that. That's a great <laughs> show, Grant. <laughs> not, not that we're biased and, yeah, sorry that you have to put up with my dulcet tones, but I am joined by other people, so it's not just me rabbiting on. Oh, that's, that's true. No, it's a, it's a great series. We had a lot of fun making that, and it's, it's actually really uh, informative. So, uh, yeah, australiandefence.com.au. Okay, enough shameless plugs for that, Grant. And uh, I tell you what, he wasn't kidding when he said that was the biggest circus tent around. That was massive, and there was a yeah. lot of uh, a lot of noise in there, a lot of drones buzzing around. And a lot of people too, especially on the weekend, uh, that got really packed. A lot of people enjoying watching uh, drones racing around and thumping into the ground and occasionally winning. I, I tell you, what, that, that actually is a real skill. I, I've, I've said it before on, on previous uh, times we've talked about drones. The idea of flying it while it's moving away from you is one thing, but having to reverse all those control inputs, that takes some concentration, I think, when it's coming back towards you. Oh, it's like any remote control aircraft like that. But don't forget, these guys were actually doing first-person view. So they were standing, or more likely sitting, and watching through the eyes of their drone. Pretty impressive. 
Yeah, yeah, great stuff. And as they as uh, they mentioned there in the interview, it's all about STEM and all about uh, you know it's it's actually a really really clever way to engage young people and get them involved in aviation uh, and and thinking about um, studying you know the the relevant um, subjects in high school really and, and moving on into science, technology, maths, all that sort of stuff, all that stuff that I was terrible at. Granted, it comes. <laughs> it's a wonder I ever learned to fly at all. Really, hey, it's just proof you don't have to be a STEM god to be able to learn to fly. Uh, you know, I scrape through on STEM. But hey, I still fly as well. And of course, as Aaron mentioned in the interview at the start there, I mean, uh, if you're looking at recreational aviation or going through the GA path or whatever, you don't just have to look at it for a career. You can also look at it just to do for fun. And uh, it, it, flying is fun. If, you, if you're listening to this show and you've, you've actually uh, never partaken of flight and never got behind the controls of a light aircraft, you know, it is fun. And once you yep. get into it, um, even as Aaron talked about there, getting over some fears of uh, flights and fears of heights, uh, once you get into it and it gets into your blood, take it from Grant and myself, it never gets out of your blood. <laughs> but it's uh, well worth doing. Go out and do a trial introductory flight, see what it's like. Uh, but also, you know, you don't have to be in an aircraft. You can be flying your simulator. You can be flying your drone and, uh, you know, or a balloon or a glider parachuting and doing engineering on the ground, keeping the aircraft flying. There's all sorts of opportunities. That is very true. Well, time is against us, Grant. It's probably time we looked at uh, wrapping the show up. Oh, it certainly is, mate. Otherwise, we're going to drone on some more. Oh. I know. <laughs> dad joke. Uh, dad joke. We should put dad joke warnings in there. <laughs> Anyhow, folks, uh, if you want to get in contact with us, we'd love to hear from you at contact at plainecrazydownunder.com. Well, speaking of flying, as we wrap this episode up, Grant, I'm off to Thailand this week, so I'll be flying in a big metal mailing tube. <laughs> it could be carbon fibre mailing tube, but you'll be self-loading freight either way. I don't mind being self-loading freight, and hopefully the in-flight catering will be wonderful. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, folks, until we talk to you again, Steve Isher, on behalf of Grant McHeron, wishing you very safe flying, folks, and we'll talk to you again very soon. Find show notes for this episode, along with our contact details and a full back catalogue of shows, at plainecrazydownunder.com. Drop us a line anytime with feedback, story suggestions, or advertising inquiries. We'd love to hear from you. Title music is You Name It by Brian Simpson. Plain Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies media production. Oh, 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 oh,